0: You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. the same Three questions pretty much every time when I meet a new person. What's your name? That's my first one. Uh, whereabouts are you from? <laughs> That tends to be my second question, you know. Oh, nice to see you. Where are you from? Uh, and then the third one is, what do you do? As if those three questions some, somehow sum up who a person is. And of course it doesn't. You know, where, what's my name? My name's Tom. Where am I from? I'm from Paul in Dorset. woo um, And uh, what do I do? I'm a pastor. Well, that doesn't sum up who I am. I, I'm not knocking it, because I ask this, these very same questions. Uh, I can't identify another way to do that first small talky bit, because I'm an introvert. So it's hard for me. And then if we make initial contact, we might manage to move on and find some other questions, other details that might reveal more about the person. You know, I remember being a young 16-year-old trying to chat girls up, and I'd get to the music question quite fast, because you can tell a lot about somebody by what kind of music they listen to, can't you? And what you want to know is, do they listen to Pink Floyd as well as you, or are they into Britney Spears or something like that? And if it's Britney, it's like, nah, you're You know, You want you want to have something in common. And I wonder what your first impressions might have been of me. I wonder what you might have said of me. If you're like Rosie, you'd have called me, you'd have said, Tom, short, hairy man. That was, that was Rosie's contribution, to you being able to get to know me as a pastor here. But you might say pastor. If somebody asked you, who is Tom Workman? You, you might say pastor. You might say husband. You might say friend. You might say idiot. You, you might say talker. You, you might say he's noisy. You might say he's excitable might say he's lazy. You know, it depends on when you see me and when you get to know me. But really, does any of that sum up who I am? In Matthew 16, Jesus asks this question to the disciples. He says, who do you say I am? And Peter, without hesitation, says, you are the Messiah, the Christos. The Son of the Living God. No hesitation whatsoever. <coughs> Go straight in there. Now, there's a title. There's a word that sums up a character, that sums up a person and a ministry and a mission. Christ. Jesus asks this because others have been stating their own opinions. They've made their mind up. They've had their 11 seconds. They've, they've decided who they think Jesus is. And so uh, some of them, according to Scripture, some of them say that he's John the Baptist. But oh, hang on, John the Baptist and Jesus were alive at the same time, so that's ludicrous. John baptized Jesus. It's <laughs> crazy. Some say Elijah, that he's Elijah returned. Others say he's Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Uh, people say today he's a good teacher. People might say he's a great example. People might say he's inspirational. People might say he's a motivator. People might say he's a rebel. And people might say he's fake. Who do you say he is? Because that question is the most important question that you can ever answer. Because if there's even one ounce of truth in the biblical view of who he is, then everything in your life and your entire future, including after you die, depends upon what your answer to that question would be. That's how big a question it is. There's no getting around this. There's a, there, you, you can say that all roads lead to God uh, and in a sense that's kind of true because man is destined to die once and face judgement every path that people take will put them in front of God it's how you go beyond that that's the issue at stake so anything else That doesn't answer correctly, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, is not going to lead to eternal life. It doesn't happen. But, don't get caught up in a moment. You know we sang that first song, Hosanna, on today's Palm Sunday. You know the crowds were jubilant. They were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Here comes the one who's gonna save us! Here comes the king of Israel! Here comes the king of kings! We're gonna throw palm branches on the on the floor to make his entrance into the city more spectacular, more comfortable. We're gonna honor him, we're gonna welcome him. But why is he on a donkey? That's a bit odd. We expected a white horse. But Hosanna! Here comes the king, and then three, four days later, what are they saying? Crucify him. We want his blood. So don't get caught up in the moment. Don't go along with it just because that's how you were raised. Don't don't go for it just because once upon a time your friends responded to an invitational or because you felt like you were buzzing when you went to a Soul Survivor thing or a Billy Graham rally or something like that. Don't be caught up in the hype. Have the depth to be able to answer the question, who do you say he is? Know him. There's an eternity of difference between knowing him and just knowing about him. You can know everything that there is to know about the historical Jesus and you can regurgitate it in textbook, writing your doctorate kind of fashion and miss knowing him. And you need to answer this question for yourself pretty much daily. Why, Why daily? Because how long does it take you you're not going to answer me, but that's fine. How long does it take you after the meeting before you forget everything and start panicking about your life? How long does it take you before you return to fear and worrying, and stubbornness or religiousness? How long does it take you before shame and guilt are back in there? Is it? Is it Monday? Is it Tuesday? Wednesday? Is it Saturday night? Just, you know, better face this stuff before I go to church again? Do you, do you try to spiritually clean yourself on a Saturday night so that you can come back to church and feel good again you know answer the question who do you say he is because if you say you're the Christ then you're saying you've washed me you've washed my sin yeah, yeah, yeah. you've banished guilt shame that's why I have to ask this question of myself daily how long after church before you're prepared to stick your fingers up at the driver like honestly I had a conversation with somebody in this church, I won't reveal who, and that person was saying, oh yeah, because I spoke about this about, you know, two months ago, three months ago, about how like, I could be a bit more ragey at times, that there's something that God's trying to deal with in me, and this person was like, I totally get you, you know, somebody cut me up the other day and I was just like, ah, you know, uh, I totally understand, but how long does it take, answer the question, who is he, because it changes everything, we'll come back to that. Because before you can answer that question accurately, you need to know about him better. So that is important. And you need to know him better. My desire today, and my, my preaching will fall flat somewhere, it will fall short somewhere, it will fail to go into the full depth somewhere today. But my desire is that you can see Jesus a little bit more clearly. Mm-hmm. For who he is. And, and that because of that, you'll be able to cultivate a closer deeper relationship with him from this point onwards as a pastor and i'm sure rob would agree with me our our desire our joy is to see people move forward in their faith we don't want to just have a club of people that come faithfully every week you know for the next 20 years and now we you know we've got some new people some other people have left and happy happy we've got a full church or whatever our passion is to see you grow to see you change, every one of you. I don't care whether you've been saved for 60 years or whether you've literally just got saved this week. We want to see you grow, just like we'll see this baby here grow. And the cool thing is that he himself has provided the evidence of who he is. Even in uh, that one question, who do you say I am? He's provided evidence. We have records of other instances throughout the Gospels of Jesus using that very same phrase, I am. And it's not just a couple of English words there to say, I am Tom, or whatever. There's so much more significance there. And you know this, but let's revisit it. So go to John 8 in your Bibles, and it will come up on the screen as well. John 8, and we're going to start at 48. And we're actually going to read all the way to 59, but it doesn't all fit on the screen well. The Jews answered him, are we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I mean, wow. Way to open a conversation. He's not a Samaritan, and he's not demon-possessed, but that's the way they open it. Is it not true that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, Jesus said, but I honour my Father, and you dishonour me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this... They exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did all the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. "'Though you don't know him, I know him. "'If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you.' <laughs> wow, all no punches there. "'I'd be a liar like you. "'But I do know him and obey his word. "'Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. "'He saw it and was glad. "'And you are not yet fifty years old,' they said to him. "'And you have seen Abraham.' You can see their heads are about to explode here. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus' answered, before Abraham was born, I am. What a curiously weird place to put an I am there. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Before Abraham was born, I am. And we surely need to ask the question here, in order to answer the question, we need to ask the question, why were they so keen to stone him? Because mm-hmm. at that point on, they wanted to kill him. If they just thought he was a nutter, they would have locked him up. If he was a fake, they, they could have just ignored him, pushed him out in the desert somewhere, and this will fizzle out. If he was a charlatan claiming to be older than Abraham, why bother trying to kill him, discredit him instead? And they can't. Because he's claiming to be God. That's why they want to stone him. There's no way around that text other than to see that this, before Abraham was born, I am, is Jesus saying, I'm God. I am the Logos. I am the one from eternity. And the word I am, Actually, Greek is ego-ami. Ego-ami. Now, you have heard the word emi before, because we used it last week as well. Emi. Emi. And I'll come and tell you which word that was in a minute. In their commentary, James and, Fawcett and Brown say of these verses, that the words rendered was and am are different words. Very different words. The one clause means that Abraham was brought into being, and the other, I exist. Have you seen where the word was last week? It was the word was, in the beginning was. The word amy, it means always existing. I am always existing. So in this, Jesus is saying, he's connecting himself with the logos. He's connecting himself with creation. He's connecting himself with pre-creation. He's saying, I am the one. In the beginning, I am. And I am, was with God, and I am, was God. That's why they wanted to kill him. I have always existed. And it's the same title, actually, that God told Moses to use in Exodus 3. Okay, different languages. So the Hebrew, in Greek it's ego, emi. In Hebrew it's, I love this, eh, yeah, <laughs> eh, yeah. And it sounds kind of similar to Yahweh as well. And, and actually the two things God uses, Yahweh and Ehyeh, he uses to say who he is. And Ehyeh means I exist, I have always existed, I am unfathomably existing. Exodus three thirteen 13-14 Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Jesus is present with Moses. So if Jesus is directly saying words, that the, the Jews would completely understand the intention of, that then either he's completely off his rocker or he's pulling a fast con for, for, for what purpose, I don't know, because it's the quickest way to get killed in ancient Israel is to say, I am God. Or is he exactly who he's claiming to be? The one who is the great I am. Now, Jesus actually uses this phrase, ego me, seven times, or more times than that, but actually seven key times where Jesus reveals (coughs) something else about his character. Because if you you say, who is Tom Workman, and you say short hairy man, and you say pastor, uh, and you say friend, and don't say husband. (laughs) If somebody else says something else about me, then you start to get a better picture of who I am, don't you? If somebody says hot headed, then you know there's a chance that there might be some hot headedness in me. So when Jesus is saying these seven I am statements, they're designed to say something about who he is, to give you a fuller picture, because it's important. Who do you say I am? He's the bread of life. Feel free to note these down, but I'm just going to read through them. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Everything you need, every hunger, every thirst that you have in your lives, physical, spiritual, or otherwise, can be satisfied in Jesus Christ. He literally is everything that you need. But the problem is, I don't even live like that, if I'm being honest. Because if I'm short on cash, yes, I'll pray about it. But I might also go, oh, my finances are a bit tight at the minute, and I hope that somebody will take pity and, you know, and say, oh, the Lord's told me to give you this 50 quid. It's like, whoa, brilliant. <laughs> what, what's better is to say, I'm in a financial pickle, pray about it, and say, God, I'm believing that you're the bread of life, that everything that I need is found in you. Your eye is on the sparrows, and if you're going to care for them and provide for them, then how much more are you going to look after me? So God I'm not going to tell anybody But I'm going to pray about this And I'm going to leave it at your feet And do you know what happens? God provides I'm not saying that there's never a time To get other people praying with you But you know your motives And honestly I've I've asked somebody To pray in the past And what I'm really saying is I'm asking you to pray But I'm actually trying to Tug your heartstrings And see if you can find it in your heart To give me 50 quid (laughs) Do you see what I mean? Don't do that that, that, just, just pray, and get people praying with you who you know probably won't give you that, but will pray. It's a much better way. Because then, when God does it, you're going to go, God, that's amazing. Not, not my skills in manipulating somebody to give me money are amazing, but God, you are amazing. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He can light up every one of your dark shadows, every single bit, mentally as well. You know, yes there are illnesses. And God does not always heal. It doesn't seem, and I don't know why, but sometimes people are healed and sometimes they're not. And it's something that we're going to wrestle with. But I'm happy to say, God, you are God and I am not. Now, I don't know why you leave this with me and you heal it from that person. You know, I when I became a Christian, I prayed for healing in the first week that I became a Christian. One thing I had a lump where well, you don't want a lump, and so I prayed for that. And in the same prayer, the same faith, everything exactly the same, I prayed for my asthma. I even gave God some deals. You know, because I thought, hey, let's do a deal, with God. So. I used to live a promiscuous life, and so now, if you'll just heal this lump, which I'm a bit scared about, and I don't want to go see a doctor about, could could you? uh, uh, My part of that is that I'll stop living a promiscuous life, and I'll be faithful until I I get married. And then the other thing was my asthma. Lord, if I if I if you get rid of my asthma, you know, I'll stop smoking. I won't smoke anymore, and you know, deal with my asthma and what have you. And it's the same kind of deal. You know, he healed the lump, but I still carry the asthma. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really have a problem with that it's not inhibiting me in life but he healed one thing he didn't heal another thing same faith, same prayer, same light, everything the same but, but what he can do is he can light up all of our depression he can light up all of our anxieties he can light up all of our fears and our worries because the thing that we're afraid of the most is what we don't know about and, and, and God can be known so his light can light that He's the gate. Everyone who enters through Jesus will be saved again. Not all roads are going to get you to heaven. All roads will lead you to God. But not all roads will get you to heaven. Because you need Jesus to justify you. (coughs) He's the gate. It's not a wide open field where everyone just lays it in. There's a gate. The gate has a name. His name is Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Thank you, Jesus. He's the good shepherd. And this is a lovely verse, because, you know, he's the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's incredible, because he will lay down his life for his sheep, us. But the the really incredible thing is that quite often we go, oh, that's nice. Fluffy sheep and a nice shepherd who cares. Sheep are stupid. Do you, do you see that's the analogy that the Bible uses? Sheep are stupid. They, they kind of go over here. Stuart and Gina, my friends, are here today. Now, their, their brother, Andy, was once walking out on the Ogmer, uh, Ogmer Hills in, in Wales. And there was a sheep. And as he walked, he just, he just walked, and the sheep turned around, looked at him, and ran in the other direction, straight off a cliff. He literally killed the sheep just by looking at it. <laughs> but, but, but the thing is, the sheep are doping. And we're dopey. The amount of times we turn around and leg it off a cliff. And sheep need to be brought back into the fold. They need to be looked after, they need to be shepherded, they need to be moved. You know, it doesn't say you know, like we're cats, because cats can't be herded, can they? But sheep can, and we're we're that kind of people that we need a shepherd. And he's a good shepherd. But it's not just about lying down in nice green pastures, and no, that's nice. Still waters and oh, that babbling broke. It's also about when we do something stupid and he gets his crook around our neck and pulls us back. Mm-hmm. And that's still mercy. Yeah. He's a good shepherd. He knows when to challenge us. He's the resurrection and the life. And all the parts of you that were dead are raised to life in Christ. We were dead in our sin. Yeah. Yeah. Now alive in Christ. And we'll be physically raised with him as well. And everyone that you've loved and who's died, yeah. who knows Jesus, will be saved. Raised to life. He says he's the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is real. It's not subjective to what your opinion of truth is. There is truth. And the truth is Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. like the gate. If you really knew me, uh, know me, then you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Now, there's a big statement because Jesus is there. Now, I'm not going to say to you that you've seen me, therefore, you've seen my dad. You might see somebody who looks like my dad. You might see somebody with the same sense of humour or sounds a bit like my dad. I might have the same gingery bits in my beard as my dad. But I'm, you're not seeing my dad. And Jesus says, You know the Father because you've seen me. He says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. I don't believe on this occasion that's a reference to hell, by the way. I'm not saying there aren't references, but I don't think that is one. He's using an analogy um, of what we do in our gardens. Okay. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You know, if I take I've got a tree in my back garden, Let's say it's an apple tree. If I take a branch off that tree, just cut it off and put it in the centre of my garden, is that going to bear apples? No. It needs to be in. The trunk. He's the vine. We're the branches. We have to be in there, getting our sustenance from Him in order to bear fruit. You could be a good character, you could be a good person, you could do good things, but actually you're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Because to bear the fruit of the Spirit, you need to be connected to God. All the time. The thing is that we as non-Jews. They grafted in. And now I don't know how this works, but I know gardeners who who graft together plants and they grow. Mm I have no idea how that works, but I know it does. My mum had a, a chat once, a friend of hers, who who used to like graft different types of rhododendrons together and then like do hybrid rhododendrons. You could literally take one plant, another plant, and graft them together to become one. That's incredible. And you see, the, the Jews were natural branches of the vine. But God loves you. And doesn't want you left out of that. And so he takes you as a branch that is cut off. And grafts you. Into the vine. So that you have access to all the nourishment. All the goodness. The bread. The thirst quencher. That you need for life through Jesus. So what? You know, there are a thousand ways that I wish I could have gone into more detail and had more time allowing to go into more detail about the great I am and what that means. And I think you could probably preach for a year more, just going through these statements and, and still dig wrenches out of them. And we could do that, not today. So my question for you today is, so what? Who do you say he is? I'm pretty sure most of you would say, yeah, you're the Christ. So what? What does that mean? How does that change you? How does that change the way you behave? How does that change your life daily? Because you are saved, you've Position that is being dealt with already. You have salvation through Christ. And he lives in your heart. He's there. But, but you still need transformation. You need sanctification. We, we need to grow. We need to mature. We need to go from being a baby to a toddler to the sort of annoying-ish 11s and 12s, you know, and then to the 14s and then the really annoying 16s and then then the really, really annoying 20s. <laughs> and then you get to the really annoying 40s. <laughs> at every point we've still got growing to do, we've still got learning to do, we've still got spiritual maturing to do. We've not nailed it yet. And, and how many of you are still carrying things around with you that should have been left at the cross? It's time, guys, to give them up. It's time to give them over. It's time that, that God put the exclamation mark on the end of depression. Uh, and it's time that that we yielded some of our bad behaviour to him. And that takes so many different forms. Uh, and, and this isn't as a punishment thing. This is a life-giving thing. It's to give you sustenance. What would your life look like If you lived every moment like you fully believe that he is the Christ, the great I am. Every moment. When you get stressed in the car, if you just remember, he's the great I am. How does that change the way you're thinking in the car? When you really get annoyed and wound up by somebody. When you get hurt by somebody. When you find that you don't have enough food in your fridge for the night. Where when you think that people are overlooking you or don't understand you, don't get you, what does it mean that he's the great I am, the Christ? Because that changes our perspective. Are you allowing him to be Lord? That's the, that's the real question here yeah. are you allowing Jesus to be Lord every decision I'm not talking about what should I wear today <coughs> talking a bit deeper than that you'd have to ask him what should I eat for dinner or chicken <laughs> no, it's, it's not fast about that but your life, your decisions your choices, the way that you live, is it yielded to Christ And I'm not telling you off, it's not because, my goodness, look at me. And I'm not saying that as a positive thing, okay. (laughs) I'm saying, look at me, I'm a a wreck with this stuff. Because I yield, and and it's amazing, and I feel the power and the presence of God, and I love it. I love being saturated in this presence. And then I go out the door, and my lifestyle doesn't live up to that, because what a wretched man I am. Mm -hmm. The things that I, I know I should do and want to do, I don't do. And the things I know I shouldn't do and, and, and I don't want to do, well, those are the things that I end up doing. Just as we respond in our hearts, I'm just going to play a song. Uh, after the song, we'll invite Eddie back up and we'll take up our tithes and phones. But use this time to answer the question again, fresh in your heart, even if you've heard this a thousand times, answer the question today, in this moment, who do you say I am? And if, if you say you're the Lord, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Great I Am, then let him tell you how to change things around, so that you live like